Welcome to the Politics of Everything. I'm Amber Danes, your host and podcast producer. This is a half hour of power, a podcast dropping every week where I unpack the politics of everything, from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment, quality, and much, much more. Our guests are seasoned in the field or topic of their choice, even if you've not heard of them yet. This is a non-partisan show. So while I love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate of ideas, this is not a purely blue, white, green program. Please subscribe, tune in and enjoy the politics of everything. A successful career in asset management requires going beyond your technical skill base to develop business acumen and street savvy that will take you to the next level. Enter Dr. Monique Beatles, an internationally recognised thought leader in asset management and best-selling author of several books, including Asset Management for Directors. She works with individuals, teams and companies all over the planet to help them become leaders in asset management. With a PhD in strategy, a Master's of Finance and 20 years of board experience, Monique amassed the technical skills and business savvy to guide others on a transformative journey of growth. In September this year, she published a new book, Leadership Assets, Empower Your Career from the Workshop to the Boardroom, which pinpoints the smarts you need to succeed in your asset management career. Drawing on her vast experience as a board director and advisor to senior leaders, Monique has written Leadership Assets, especially for asset managers who want to realise their leadership potential and for leaders who want to empower their teams. So very big welcome to you, Monique, as we discuss the politics of assets. Thanks, Amber. Uh, Lovely to be with you today. So, young Monique, what did you want to be when you grew up and did you get there? Well, um, Amber, when I was quite young in primary school, I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to write books and be an author. So, I suppose I have done that. Probably the difference is that when I was a kid, I wanted to write like science fiction, you know, interplanetary space travel and robots and things like that. Um, There's still time. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. So, I I suppose my, um, you know, perhaps one day when I, in that mythical one day when I have the time, I, I might write a science fiction novel. But in the meanwhile, I've written a number of other uh, books, which are mostly for a corporate audience. So, yeah. And so your early first sort of jobs, what were they like? Were you working in big corporates? What was your early career about? Uh, no. So actually my my first degree was in pharmacy. So I, as I then did my PhD, so my undergrad was in pharmacy, but I wanted to work in the pharmaceutical industry. So I uh, went on and did a PhD in strategy. So while I continued my studies, I worked in the hospital. So yes, a hospital is a big organisation, but it's not it's different to a corporate environment in the sense that it's not like commercial in that same way, but um, certainly it's a big organisation with a lot of politics and a lot going on. So I guess I learned a lot yeah, during that those early years in the hospital about, you know, what's important to people and that idea of, I guess, uh, customer service and having a sense of urgency around your work and, you know, how to really get things done you know, was all part of that. Excellent training for whatever would lie ahead, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what does an asset manager do? Look, I've got a background in financial journalism, but not everyone's going to have that understanding. Can you sort of unpack for us exactly what an asset manager does? Uh, Okay, so um, asset management is all about creating value for stakeholders through assets. So again, that comes back to what's important to people because value means different things to different people. So it's really important for asset managers to have an understanding of who their stakeholders are and 
what they value. Again, the context is important. So if you're in a you know, listed company where the returns to shareholders is a big priority, that's you know maybe uh, one of the important things that value means to them. Whereas if you're in a uh, government service, you know, providing services to the community, what value means may have a different you know, meaning in that context. So, so there's no sort of fixed, you know, uh, way that asset managers create value, but it really takes a very holistic approach. So I think quite often people might think of asset management as just meaning maintenance or just, you know, fixing things when they're broken, but contemporary best practice asset management involves the whole organisation and it's very much focused on those strategic objectives. So that's how I came to be involved with asset management through my background with my PhD in strategy and looking at what's important to meeting those strategic objectives on that more holistic and wider level. Great summary. So career paths in emerging and multidisciplinary profession of asset management are not obviously clear to everybody how you get to where you need to be. It's hard to know how to take those steps. How would you advise people that would come to you, perhaps individuals looking for a career in the sector, or they might have started off as an asset manager, but they kind of want to know what's next? Yeah, and I think the thing is that asset managers come from a wide range of disciplinary backgrounds. So they may, you know, they're quite commonly from an engineering background or from a technical trade background. So they might have been a mechanic or electrician or boilermaker or one of those trades that's involved in you know, building and maintaining assets. They also might come from accounting and finance and increasingly today from a whole range of other backgrounds. So uh, HR, legal and so on. So taking that first step in asset management may in fact be a little way into your career where you've already had some experience in one of those technical disciplines. But the next step is then building on your technical skills to develop those business skills and those street smarts that are important to be able to engage with decision makers at senior levels and and have that long-term strategic impact. So what I tend to do is help people work out where they are now, you know, what stage of their career they're at, and then look to what that next stage is going to be for them, where they want to go, what they want to do, and therefore which skills they need to work on to, to go to that next step. So you've got a book, which I mentioned in the introduction, Leadership Assets, which helps provide that framework to create the whole of life plan for an asset management career. I I know you've got nine essential leadership assets that you talk about as people develop from from the workshop to the boardroom. Because we've only got a limited amount of time today, what would the top three leadership assets are that you believe people need to really succeed and why, why those assets? Yeah. Okay. So I think given there's there's nine, but there are three sets of three. So uh, that that first set is your technical smarts and skills, and the first one of those is curiosity, which I think is really the starting point, and you know, in many ways, the most important because it's where we begin everything else by being curious about what problems need to be solved, which problems are important, and focusing on identifying those problems. So I think we're all born curious, but throughout our lives, we can kind of 
let that fade away a bit if we don't nurture it. And I think definitely for asset managers and really for everybody, curiosity is um, an essential skill that we need to have. In those business smarts, which is the, the second category of leadership assets, I think I'd pick tenacity because even though in this context it's about analysing risk and managing risk, if you're in that leadership position, it's really important that you've got to be tenacious and resilient. You've got to be able to keep turning up every day regardless of the challenges you might be facing and you've got to be able to carry your team you know through those challenges as well so I think tenacity is one of those really essential characteristics that we all need Um, and then if I choose one from the street smarts which are which are those more human capabilities that we need to be able to communicate and engage with our with our stakeholders and particularly when we get into those senior leadership positions when we may be in a public facing role and people looking to us for guidance and and so on and we're really you know leading a, a big organization or leading a community I, I think humility is really important in those roles we we can't think that we always have all the answers we have to be willing to listen and we have to be willing to understand what people's concerns are and and um, what it is that they need and, and that applies to, to all of our stakeholders our customers our our employees our our team that we need to be able to listen and, and understand what their pro- what priorities are from their perspective. So so I think, you know, that's just to, to pick out a couple of them that, that I think are important, but that combining those together, you know, we don't abandon our technical skills when we move into those higher levels, but what we do is we build on them. So we then develop those business skills and, and those street smarts as well. Excellent. So in your time, you've obviously had a you know a long career in the sector. What has changed the most, do you think, in the last two decades um, as you've worked as a board director and an advisor for senior leaders? I'm thinking about technology changes, of course, and I, I guess priorities such as ESG principles that have had impacts. But is there anything really that stands out for you as, I guess, the biggest sort of change or changes that you've observed? Yeah, I think you know, certainly technology plays a big part. I think what's changed a lot over those 20 years, and if I think back to the time when I was doing my PhD and I was focused on the pharmaceutical industry and their their imperative for innovation in a, in a biotech boom, and we might have looked at um, high-tech companies like biotech or, you know, IT and so on as being those ones that I suppose had an imperative to innovate. But I think what's changed over these 20 years with the economic and environmental and social shifts we've had is that now every everybody has an imperative to innovate. It doesn't matter what industry you're in and even those that may be considered more traditional or more conservative, if they don't adapt to the changing world, they get left behind and become irrelevant and obsolete. So I think, you know, certainly around the board table, our directors are really concerned about disruption, looking to say, how do we stay ahead of the curve? How do we make sure that we're not going to be the next, you know, industry or sector that's going to be wiped out by some new innovation or new business model that we didn't see coming? So I think having our finger on the pulse of of that rapidly changing environment is really essential for for board directors and decision makers. So what mistakes are the most common that you see for those in asset management careers and how can they be avoided? 
Well, I think the the biggest mistake is to think that it's all about the assets, whereas actually, uh, you know, as I've said from the beginning, what an asset manager is is doing or or what the purpose of asset management is to create value for stakeholders. So it's actually about those outcomes that we're delivering, whether that's for, you know, for customers, for the community and so on. The assets are only there to serve the purpose, you know, for which they they exist. They don't exist in their own right and they don't have value uh, in their own right necessarily. So so I think that's the thing is to not be, uh, I think, a shift from, you know, a more traditional approach to a more contemporary best practice is to move away from focusing on the technical aspects of the assets and move towards taking that more strategic viewpoint as to what are we trying to achieve and what assets do we need to help us achieve that. Absolutely. And is there some sort of matrix that you you generally suggest for that? I mean, what's the process to actually identify those risks that you think works best? Uh, in terms of, well, there are a whole range of tools that asset managers will use for for looking at that. And certainly the introduction of the ISO 55000 suite of international standards has been a big, you know, shift in terms of providing that framework for asset management globally that everyone can look to and say, okay, if we want to have a, a best practice asset management system, what does that look like and what does that involve? And so I, I think a lot of of the frameworks now with a lot of the tools that we use are based around that standard. So it's really the starting point to say, okay, here's a consensus on, on what's, you know, accepted internationally as, as the way we should do things. And it gives you that starting point to, to then begin a journey of either aligning to those standards, perhaps being certified, and then and then eventually moving beyond that. So, so I think that's kind of the, you know, the core uh, sort of basis that most asset managers would work from. Yeah, that makes sense. Obviously, most of us get to our career point, to our business success, because we've had some fantastic mentors along the way who've guided us. And in my experience, particularly, um, I've had different mentors at different stages of my career in business. Who would be the one or two that really stand out for you and why have they had such an impact on your life and career? Certainly, I'd say it's the same for me that I've had a number of mentors over the years. And sometimes, you know, that might be for a period of time. Sometimes it might just be very brief where, you know, you've had the opportunity to seek guidance from someone or or interact with someone who's really, I guess, um, changed your perspective and, and helped set you up for that future journey. I think for me, definitely my PhD supervisor was, was a great mentor during that time when I when I did that, uh, you know, research and, and study and I think provided me with a lot of deep thinking opportunities and a lot of really, you know, interesting conversations that helped me to think more deeply and more broadly about a whole range of things and even about, you know, what I my own career ambitions and and what I was capable of achieving. So, so I think certainly he was a very important mentor to me and and has remained so you know over the years since I since I finished that work. Also, a few years ago, I had the opportunity to go to the Harvard Business School and do one of their executive education programs. I'm and assuming pre-COVID. <laughs> it was. It was pre-COVID, yes, thankfully. It was in 2012, so a few years ago. And one of the great things that they did there in the program I did was that they gave you a coach through 
you know, in, who you could work with individually as part of that program. So yes, you had the the sort of group sessions in the in the case study method that they use, but you also did have a, a coach or a mentor who you could work with. So that was also fantastic. And even though it was only for a a brief time period had a really big impact on my my life and my career and I think you know in particular on my confidence and my I think my the way that I then chose to show up as a leader changed quite a bit after that experience so I think that was also quite quite powerful so um yeah so I think again throughout throughout your life you you need different thing different advice at different times you need different people at different times to sort of help you take that next step absolutely a bit of fun now if you could choose a favorite book song or film what would it be and why (laughs) well I'm a huge West Wing fan (laughs) so I still watch the reruns you know over and over I've got the whole box set DVDs and then just prior to COVID but in the recent years there's also I don't know if you know it but there's a there's a West Wing podcast called the West Wing Weekly and they went through and took and you know would go over each episode and they would interview you know the actors they'd interview like Aaron Sorkin the directors whole range of people involved with it and even though it's 20 years on from from when it was screened at at it garnered a huge following. So that kind of got me back into it again. And we'll watch the episode, then listen to the podcast and and then um, watch it again. So um, yeah, so that's one of my one of my favorites, definitely. But that's a good one. That's a classic. Yeah, I love that too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Excellent. As we wrap up today, what would be your final takeaway message for us on the politics of assets? I think, look, one of the key messages, and it's right in the final paragraph of my book, you know, I, I said already one of the mistakes is, is, you know, thinking that it's all about the assets. But I think one of the other things that I'm really passionate about is that people are not assets. And we, you know, we hear so often this very glib reference to people are our greatest assets. But I think it's a bit dangerous to, to think of people as the same as a building or a machine and to think that they're just there for their economic utility, even to, you know, to the extent where now there are some bodies advocating, you know, putting people on the balance sheet. And I think that's really dangerous. So um, people are not assets, but people are essential to asset management and our asset management systems and to creating value for our stakeholders. So I think we have to be human first in whatever work we're doing. Absolutely. Well, it's been a pleasure to have our conversation today. If you do want to connect further with Monique, there will be some details on the show notes. Until next time, take care. After 42 weekly podcasts, that was my final episode of The Politics of Everything for 2021. It's been a pleasure to be back on the Soundwaves again this year, and I valued each and every email and DM I get about the podcast. Thanks to all my special guests, my hardworking production team, and most of all, the audience who make a choice every week to download an episode and listen in. I will be back in February 2022, so until then, keep well. Thanks so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed the politics of everything, I thrive on your feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network through Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. I'm always on the hunt for new and diverse guests. So if you or someone you know has a fresh idea you're busting to get out there, please email me at amber at amberdanes.com and my crew will get back to you very soon.